1: Tonight on Inner Sanctum, a young man has snooped in a professor's laboratory and made a startling discovery. The episode, The Man Who Couldn't Die.
2: Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. This is your host of the Inner Sanctum inviting you in through the creaking door. Come on in and enter into the spirit of things. (laughs) Oh, uh, don't pay any attention to those gurgling sounds you hear. They're the unfortunate ones. The midnight spirits who were caught haunting before midnight. Poor things. All they can do now is gurgle because they've evaporated. Into distilled spirits.
3: What a horrifying thought, Mr. Host. Can't we ever talk about the brighter side of life?
2: Well, don't forget, Mary, murder is my business.
3: Well, thank goodness it isn't mine. And right now, I'd much prefer to talk with our Lipton listeners about something more conducive to happy spirits. I mean, a cup of hearty, piping hot Lipton tea. You know, it's really wonderful, the extra delight you get from this superb tea, friends. And the reason is simply this, Lipton's grand, brisk flavor. Brisk, you know, is the tea expert's own word for the fresh, full-bodied, lively flavor of Lipton tea. Because unlike ordinary teas, Lipton's is never flat-tasting or lifeless. Lipton tea is always spirited, full-flavored, truly satisfying. Why, I'd even go so far as to say that once you've tried it, I think you'll enjoy Lipton tea more than any other tea you've ever tasted.
2: And I'll go even further, Mary, and introduce our listeners to tonight's story. It's an original radio play written especially for Inner Sanctum by Emil Tepperman and starring Richard Widmark in the role of Alex Gregory. It's about a man who became master of a secret So fearful that it could never be revealed to any mortal, living or dead. But let him tell you the story himself. How he learned the most terrible secret in all the universe, and what he did with it.
4: It was an evening in September, the 15th to be exact, when I first learned of the existence of Elixir No. 4. It happened at Professor Jarman's house just off the college campus. You've heard of Jarman, of course. He was to chemistry what Einstein is to physics. But it was his daughter, Elaine, that I was interested in that evening in September when I rang their bell. Oh, hello, Alex. Oh,
5: gosh, is it that late? I'm not even dressed. Hi,
4: sweet. Snap it up, will you? The last show starts at 8.30. Oh, it
5: won't take me long. Wait for me in the library. I'll be ready in a jiffy.
4: I knew my way around the house. I went into the library, and the first thing I noticed was that the door to Professor Jarman's private study was ajar. It had never happened before. The private study and the laboratory beyond were forbidden territory in the Jarman home. Not even Elaine was allowed in there. And now the door was open. I'd heard stories of Jarman's experiments with new and secret formulae. So here was a chance. A possible chance to find out what the old Kaja was working on. I couldn't resist. I pushed open the door and I stepped into the private study. I could hear Jarman in the lab talking to himself. Elaine had told me once that he always talked to himself in the lab. I stood quietly in the study, but I couldn't make out what he was saying in there. I looked around. The study was just a small cubbyhole with a chair, a bookcase, and a desk. And on the desk, I saw the open diary. A single sentence was written on the open page. I stepped closer. And then, I got the first shock. For that sentence was written in Latin. My Latin was rusty, but I was able to decipher the words, We tie secretum in elixir quartum perpetus habeo. In elixir number four, I have the secret of perpetus life. Perpetus. That was the one word I couldn't seem to place. In elixir number four, I have the secret of. Something. Life. I was puzzling over that word perpatus when suddenly the laboratory door was flung open.
6: What are you doing at my desk?
4: Oh, uh, hello, Professor Charman. I asked you, what are you doing at my desk? Well, the, the study door was open. I, I thought I'd see if you were in here. You were reading my diary. Oh, no, no, Professor. You saw the entry in my diary. Oh, really, Professor, I assure Do you. You read I... Latin. Latin? Well, I, I don't understand. You're sure you don't understand that? No, no, I, I, I don't.
5: Here Alex.
4: Ready? What? Well, well, is anything wrong? Elaine, I've told you time and again, no one is to be admitted to my study.
5: Oh, I'm sorry, Dad. You must have left the door open. Oh, Alex,
4: you're not I'm terribly company. sorry, Elaine. I, I found the door open, and I thought Professor Jarman was in here. I, I just wanted to say hello. All right, all right. No harm done, as long as you can't read Latin. Now, get along, you two. I'm busy, but keep out of my study I took Elaine to the movies, but I haven't the faintest recollection of what the picture was about. Through my mind kept running that Latin sentence, We tie secretum in elixir quartum perpetus habeo. When I said goodnight to Elaine at her door after the show, I hurried home to my room and I got out an old Latin dictionary. I looked up the word
7: "perpetus,"
4: And then... I got a strange, cold feeling down my spine. For the word perpetus meant perpetual. The Latin sentence which Jarman had written in his diary meant In elixir number four, I have the secret of perpetual life. Mm-hmm. Professor Jarman had discovered the secret of immortality. The next day I conducted my chemistry classes Purely by instinct I couldn't take my thoughts from elixir number four Every voice in the classroom Seemed to sing the same refrain Accomplished
5: by adding to a dilute solution Of H2SO4 A quantitative Immortality
4: Never to know the fear of death To live on serenely To watch the world change Through the centuries Never to die It grew on me like a festering tumor, this terrific dream of immortality, everlasting life. I had to have elixir number four. In the afternoon, the first free period I had, I went down the hall to Jarman's office. Come in. May I come in for a moment, Professor? Oh, it's you. Yes, come in. We haven't much time. Professor, uh, I want to apologize for last night. Let's forget about it. No harm done.
1: Well, whatever it was you had written
4: in your diary, it uh, it must have been pretty important. Oh, no, no, not at all. Only some chemistry notes. Nothing of any importance. Just something I've been experimenting with. Well, I'd be very glad to assist you, Professor. Anything I could do, that I'd That's be... very kind of a young man, but I don't need any assistance, thank you. As a matter of fact, the experiment is completed. You mean you're all finished? All, but the practical application. Oh. Well, couldn't I help you on that? It won't be necessary. Tonight, I'm taking the last step. Tonight? I knew what that meant. Tonight, he was going to use elixir number four. He was going to administer it to himself. I had to act tonight or never. Never. Jarman's keys were on his desk. I distracted his attention and I managed to pick them up without his noticing. Then I hurried across town to a locksmith and had him make duplicates of Jarman's house key, his study key, and his laboratory key. Then I returned to the college and I managed to replace the keys on Jarman's desk while he was out. Now, I was ready for an adventure into immortality. At 8.30 that evening, I let myself into Charman's house, opened the study door, and stepped quietly over to the laboratory. I knew Elaine was at a sorority meeting. The professor and I were the only ones in the house. Charmin was standing at the lab table with his back to me, talking away to himself. There was a small vial on the table. Um, A mixer and a hypodermic syringe alongside it. The quantity administered yesterday will be sufficient. At my age, since my blood is too thin, I require the additional dose. But a younger man would need only one injection to cause the necessary type change in his blood. Who's that? Good evening, Professor Charman. I hope I'm not interrupting. What are you doing here? How did you get in? So elixir number four changes the bloodstream.
6: What do you want in here?
4: Quit stalling, Professor. I know what elixir number four is. Ah. So this is it. Elixir number four. Be careful. Don't spill it. How much of this stuff have you got? Uh, that's all there is. Five cc. You mean you haven't got any more? It took me five years to distill ten cc's. Before that, I experimented for ten years. I failed three times. And this is your fourth try. Elixir number four. And there isn't any more of it? It'll take me five years more to make up another bat. Please be careful. Don't drop it. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, I won't. You, uh... You said this is enough to make the average man Immortal. Me, for instance? not for you. You hear me? Not for you. Oh, yes, it is, Professor. It's for me. I won't let you... What are you doing with that mallet? What do you think? No. I'm so sorry, Professor. Wait. I- I'll let you have it. Don't kill me. I've got to kill you. When I take this dose of elixir number four, I'll be immortal. And I don't want anyone to know it. Oh, wait, you fool. You'll never enjoy your immortality. You'll wish you were dead a thousand times. I'll come back to remind you, back to remind you... Uh I didn't hit him hard enough to kill him. That wasn't part of my plan. But when he lay unconscious on the floor, I searched among the chemicals until I found what I wanted. I mixed some chemicals in a test tube, and I watched the fumes forming. Then I held the test tube against Jarman's mouth, forcing the deadly gas into his lungs. When I was sure he was dead I wiped the tube Clean of my fingerprints And put it back in the rack Then I picked up the vial Of elixir number four The hypodermic syringe And I hurried away Locking all the doors behind me As soon as I got home I filled the hypo With elixir number four And I gave myself The injection Almost immediately, I felt a strange radiance pervading my body. A new strength was flowing in my blood. I was immortal. I couldn't die.
7: I would go on living and living and living forever.
2: what's going on here? What's all this about living forever? If you ask me, it would be more of a curse than a blessing. Now, just suppose we all took a shot of this elixir number four. I think of all the people who'd lose their jobs. Grave diggers and stone cutters and shroud makers and hearse drivers and why go on. You see what I mean. Why, everybody'd be out of a job. We'd all practically starve to death. Oh,
3: well, then, Mr. Host, maybe we can be glad that nobody has ever found the fountain of youth. You know, I think it's not a matter of trying to live forever. The important thing is to get more enjoyment out of every day. Mm-hmm.
2: For instance, Mary?
3: Well, for instance, one splendid way to get more enjoyment out of an otherwise dull day is to invite your friends in for tea. It's a delightful neighborly custom, made even more delightful when the tea you serve is Lipton's, because there's so much extra pleasure in Lipton tea. The party will seem more of a party, the conversation will be more sparkling, and your reputation as a thoughtful hostess will soar to the skies the moment your guests take their first sip of Lipton tea. For Lipton's wonderful brisk flavor makes it a favorite with everybody. So when friends drop in for tea, or the family gathers around the dinner table, serve them Lipton's. Tea at its delicious best.
2: And now let's get back to our story. We're all anxious to see what this fellow Alex does with his secret of perpetual life. Just imagine a man with all that time on his hands. Time to kill, and kill, and kill.
4: Immortality I had it in my blood I could feel it pulsing in my veins The vitality, the power I had to establish an alibi Not that I expected to need an alibi Jarman's death would surely look like an accident Or suicide when his body was found in the laboratory in the morning But I wasn't taking any chances on a murder charge I had so much more to lose now Wouldn't it be ironic if they were to execute me for murder? (laughs) Me, an immortal. Next morning, I stopped at Jarman's house and rang the bell. I knew Elaine must have gone right to bed when she returned from the sorority meeting last night... because she never disturbed her father when he was in the lab. But now, when she discovered that he hadn't been to bed all night she'd want to investigate. And I wanted to be there when the body was found.
7: Oh,
5: good morning, Alex.
4: Hello, sweet. What's wrong? You look worried.
5: Come on in. Alex, I am worried. Dad's still in the lab. He didn't go to bed last night.
4: Well, what of it? He must be working on something big.
5: No, no, I'm afraid something's happened. I I knocked at the door just now and there was no answer.
4: The door was locked?
5: Yes, but I have a pass key. I wonder if I ought to use it.
4: Why, of course you should.
5: Please, Alex. You come with me.
4: Of course, darling. Together we opened the laboratory door. I was all set to act horrified when we discovered the body on the floor. But there was no need to act. I was horrified. For the... The lab was empty. There was nothing on the floor. The body of Professor Jarman was gone. I don't know for how many hours after that that I walked the street, confused and frightened and uncomprehending. I tried to reason it out, how Jarman's body had walked out of that lab. There was only one solution. Jarman had already taken one dose of elixir number four. It must have counteracted the poison that I'd forced into him. He must have gotten up and then walked away. But where? And why? I recalled what he'd said before I hit him with the mallet. Yes, I could hear his voice faintly strumming at my brain. You'll never
7: enjoy your immortality. You'll wish you were dead a thousand times. I'll come back to remind you...
4: The next day, I went to Elaine's house, and I saw that she was taking her father's disappearance pretty hard.
5: Oh, Alex, I I don't know what to make of it. Do you think that... that Dad... that... Oh, that he's no, no,
4: take it easy, baby. Maybe he's just uh, suffering from amnesia. Maybe he just walked out of the house. He might turn up tomorrow.
5: I have a terrible feeling, Alex, that, that he's dead.
4: What makes you think so?
5: Oh, I don't know.
4: Now, now, please, a That won't do you any good. Oh,
5: but it's the uncertainty. If if I only knew for sure. Alex. Hmm? Do you believe in mediums?
4: Communicating with the dead?
5: Do you believe a medium can put you in touch with the dead?
4: Oh, is that what you're thinking of, darling? Going to a medium?
5: Don't you see, Alex? If Dad... Oh, if Dad is dead, maybe... maybe...
4: I was worried too I had to know if Jarman was dead or alive I had to know before I could start enjoying life Yes, yes, that might be a good idea Elaine, can't hurt to try There's a medium in town oh,
5: I, I don't know what I want to do Let me think about it
4: Sure, sure, darling In the days that followed I began to doubt whether I really was immortal Was elixir number four really the elixir of life? Was I really going to live forever? If there was only some way to prove it. Then I remembered what Jarman had said, that the elixir caused a change of blood type. Well, that'd be easy enough to check. Elaine was taking a medical course, so I asked her to test my blood on the pretext that I thought I had anemia.
5: It won't hurt, Alex. The needle? Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) There, (laughs) now I've got all the blood I need. Just sit here a minute while I make the test.
4: Well, uh, does it take long?
5: Mm, Only a minute. Alex!
4: She was excited. There was something different about my blood
5: then. Alex! Alex, come here quick. What? Look. Oh, look, Alex. I I can't be mistaken. Your blood... It's a new
4: type Elaine couldn't get over the discovery that my blood was a new type I'd asked her not to tell anyone about my new blood type But I knew she wouldn't be able to keep the secret for long And once it got out, people might begin to suspect what I already knew for sure That I was immortal Oh, I couldn't afford to have that known Because then everybody in the world would be envious of me They'd hate me too Because they'd know I could go on living long after they were dead Oh no No, it had to be a secret forever No one in the whole world must know Except myself And the only person who could spill the secret now Was Elaine So There was only one thing to do Elaine furnished the opportunity herself the next day.
5: Alex, I've been thinking about that medium. I've got to know if... if Dad is alive or... or dead.
4: All right, whatever you say, darling. If it'll make you feel any better. I'll go with you, of course. Just the two of us, huh? We made a date to go to the séance that evening. And I made my plans accordingly. I didn't intend that Elaine should leave the séance... Alive We arrived at the medium's house promptly at nine o'clock The medium asked Elaine and me to sit close to each other And then She put out the lights Alex It's all right, sweet I'm right here, I'm right next to you
5: I'm frightened
4: There's nothing to be frightened about, darling I'm right here with you
5: It's so dark I can't see anything I don't hear anything. Where's the medium?
4: She's still here. She's right across the table. <laughs> She's gone into a trance.
5: Do you think she'll contact that spirit?
4: I don't know, darling. Wait and see. I timed myself carefully, waiting for the moment when the medium should be well into her. plunger in my left hand, while I gripped Elaine's arm with my right, my thumb over the artery. Alex,
5: your your fingers hit.
4: It's all right, sweet. Slowly, I brought the hypodermic needle up close to the artery. One One bite of the needle, a single plunge of the plunger, and death would come almost instantaneously. And no one in the world could say that it hadn't been heart failure. But suddenly, just as I had the plunger ready, I heard... I heard something strange.
7: A sound.
4: In the room where there should have been no sound. You'll never enjoy your immortality. You'll wish you were dead a thousand times. I'll come
5: back to remind you.
7: Back the dead. To remind
5: you. Back the voice of the you. dead. Jarman, where are you? you?
4: Jarman, stop. You're dead. You're dead, Jarman. You can't be talking.
7: You're dead. I saw your dead body. I killed you myself.
4: Suddenly, the lights flashed up. The room was full of police.
5: Arrest him, officer. (laughs) He killed my father. You heard his confession. That voice. That was dad's voice, Alex. A recording. A recording? That's why he always talked to himself in the lab. He had a wire recording machine. He talked while he carried on his experiments so that there'd be a permanent record. The wire recorder picked up everything that was said in the lab the night you killed him. But we could never have proved it was your voice in court if you hadn't confessed just now. Yes, but the body. I found Dad dead that night when I got back from the meeting. And I hid the body until I could find his murderer. And now, Alex, I found him.
4: All through the trial, Elaine sat and watched me. All the time the jury was out, she sat and watched me. And she watched me while they read the verdict of guilty. Her eyes never left me when I stood up to be sentenced and heard the judge say...
2: Alex Gregory, it is the judgment of this court that you be confined to the penitentiary... For the rest of your natural life.
7: (laughs) Me.
4: Me of all people. Me sentenced to imprisonment for life. Me in whose veins runs the precious elixir number four. Imprisonment for the rest of my natural
7: life. Which means forever. (laughs)
2: You know, I feel kind of sorry for Alex. He really got a tough break. Locked up in a cell for all eternity and no way out. Yes, looks like they'll have to build a new jail around him every thousand years or so. Of course, there's one way out for him. He could let his beard grow for a couple of centuries, and when it gets long enough, he could hang himself. Oh,
3: imagine <laughs> such a thing, Mr. Host.
2: Yes, it would be sort of... Breathtaking, wouldn't it, Mary? (laughs) Poor Alex. He probably had many good impulses in his lifetime. As the trouble is, he didn't follow them.
3: Well, Mr. Host, I'm afraid that's something we all do every now and then. For instance, perhaps some of you Inner Sanctum fans have promised yourselves the pleasure of trying Lipton tea, but somehow just haven't gotten around to it. Or maybe you've just forgotten it when you're writing out your grocery list. Well, this time, make sure. Add Lipton tea to your grocery list right now, for until you do try it, you're missing a real treat. Why not start enjoying lively, full-bodied Lipton tea beginning tomorrow?
2: And now, friends, before I say goodnight, here's a pleasant bit of philosophy. Biologists tell us that all life starts in a little cell, and for convicted murderers, it ends there, too. (laughs) Oh, by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is Death in the Limelight by A.E. Martin. And next week's Inner Sanctum story, brought to you by the makers of Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup, and directed by Hyman Brown, next week's story is called You'll never escape. So, if you feel in a capturing mood, join us next Tuesday. Mm. Until then, good night. Pleasant Mm. (laughs) dreams.
3: Friends, you want to know how to make an ordinary meal into a feast? Start it right. Start it bright with tempting, heartwarming Lipton's Noodle Soup. Lipton's Noodle Soup is ready to serve in a jiffy. And what a treat it is. Lots of tender, golden noodles and a world of real chickeny flavor that makes it taste homemade. It's economical, too. Lipton's Noodle Soup mix costs less and makes lots more than canned soups. So try Lipton's Noodle Soup real soon. (laughs) And don't forget to tune in next week at the same time for another Inner Sanctum Mystery.
2: This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Stay tuned for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy next on Theatre of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. June Allison guests with Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy next.
8: Coca Cola brings you Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy. Sunday night and time again for Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy, with Mortimer third and Ray Noble in his orchestra, and the Mellow Man brought to you each week by the Coca-Cola Company. Tonight's special guest is the lovely lady of the screen, Miss June Allison. And now Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy.
9: Yes, yes, I I know, I know, honey But I gotta hang up now, my kumquat Yes Oh, they've announced me Charlie, get off that telephone Did you get your allowance, babe? Oh, good Now you can take me out tonight Really, Charlie? So long, my tangerine I'll be squeezing you. Charlie, I just couldn't help overhearing your conversation. Why? Was the extension phone caught in your ear? No, no.
7: <laughs> I
9: can't believe that you talk to a girl that way. Who is she? Oh, well, let's just say she's a good skate, what pays the freight. Oh, I see. <laughs> I can't understand this younger generation. Why, when I was growing up, everybody was a gentleman. You mean there weren't any women at all? Oh, okay. sure, sure, sure. I mean, we acted like gentlemen. Oh. Apparently, you don't know what a gentleman is. Oh, sure. A gentleman is a wolf with patience. All right.
7: <laughs> Charlie, next... Well... Next
9: time you see this girl of yours... Yes? Yeah. Why don't you try... Try talking about music and art and... Uh, why don't you quote poetry... Oh, no, no. No, I tell you, Bergen, girls don't take that kind of punishment today. Oh, they don't? (laughs) Well, you just try it and see what she does. I know what she'll do. She'll comp me on the head with her baseball bat. Her baseball bat? Yeah, sure. She's homicide Ida. Oh, she is? Yes. She's the catcher on our baseball team. Oh, some girl. You can say it. Yes. Strong as an ox. And twice as pretty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, times have changed. Yeah, Charlie, I want to remind you that June Allison is coming by to see us. And I wish, for me, I wish you'd remember your party manners. Did you see June Allison? Yes. <gasps> oh. <laughs> All, right. All right. Now, there is my big moment. Yes. Yeah. You know, she's just as cute as a button. Yes. Now, I'd like to get my button hooks on her.
7: All right. <laughs> I want
9: you to think of yourself as a gallant knight and conduct yourself as uh, one of King Arthur's men. Now, those were wonderful days. Were you happy then, Bergen? Oh, Brian. I wasn't born then. Oh, oh, look, I see June Allison headed this way. Oh, my heart is turning a handspring.
10: Here we are, Junie. Hello, Edgar.
7: Hello, Charlie. Oh. <laughs>
11: Uh, Junie, it's it's good to see you.
9: Yeah, we were just talking about romance and chivalry, you know. Uh, uh, tell me, uh, do you feel, uh, do you feel uh, spoonie,
10: Junie? <laughs> that I do, Goonie. <laughs>
9: all right, all right. June. I was telling Charlie, if he would conduct himself as a knight of King Arthur's time, he would be the most popular boy at school.
10: You are absolutely right, Edmund. Mm. I'm sure everyone would think that... Thing, he... Think that I was nuts. Yeah, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. It would not fit in with our times. But I would have adored living in those days with all the knights in their shining armor. Well, what was so great about that? Well, it would have been so much fun shopping for hand goods.
9: Why? Well, in
10: those days, even the men were put up in tins. Uh.
7: Jude. You're
9: ashamed, aren't you now? I told you not to say <laughs> June, I remember seeing you in the MGM picture. Uh, what was the name of that MGM picture? Men put up in tins. No, no, no. That one
7: will live to haunt you. All right. <laughs> oh,
9: I know. That picture words and music, you know, where you did a very clever little scene. It was two knights in armor, and you sang Thou Swell or something. Yes, that's
10: right. It was about a knight making love to his lady pair. With a modern touch. Yeah, I remember. I remember that. It, it,
9: it, I know how the song goes. It goes, uh, Thou swell, yeah, no, 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 oh, like no, you, this you're interrupting me.
10: Thou swell, thou witty, thou sweet, thou grand, which kiss me pretty would hold my hand but my eyes to kiss What what they do to me hear me holler I choose a sweet loller but loser me I'd feel so rich in a hut for two two rooms and kitchen I'm sure would do give me just a plot of not a lot of land Swell, the witty, the grand The swell, the witty, the sweet thou grand,
7: with
10: kiss me pretty Put
7: all my hand.
10: But my eyes are cute too What they do to me Hear me holler I choose a sweet holler But loser can
7: be You're my sweet fellow i loser
10: I feel so rich In the tiny little Part that's for two Two rooms and kitchen I'm sure would do It's just a plot of Not a lot of land And and thou uh, how do you like my voice, Charlie? Well, I think it's very yeah, well so do I. I've been told that I have the range of lily puns and the vivacity of Mary Martin. Do you think so? Well, I. Well, I don't think so either. Uh, No. No. Do you know? You know, you've got me kind of interested in that King Arthur stuff. Say, I have an idea, Charlie. The museum has a wonderful display in their armor room. Let's go and see it.
9: Now, that is a splendid idea. Now, you two go ahead, and I'll meet you at the museum. Well, Mortimer, how do you find yourself these days?
11: Well, most of the days I just don't bother to. I
7: uh, I'm, I'm on my way
11: to the museum with Charlie. Well... Yes. Listen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Have you ever been there? Uh, where? To the museum. Oh. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Yep. That's the way it goes. Yeah. But how did you like it? The what? The museum. Oh, the museum. Well, I reckon it'll be all right when they get all that junk cleaned out of there.
7: What did you enjoy
11: most at the museum? The sliding down the long banister out front. <laughs>
7: <laughs>
11: all right, all right. I mean, what did you get
9: from your visit? Splinter, splinter, I... <laughs> Well, now, you might get something more out of it if you come along with us. Hey, uh, you know, I understand the museum is adding a new wing. Oh,
11: no, that won't do much good. Why? They'll never get it off the ground. Oh.
7: <laughs> Why don't
9: you come with us and go through the museum again? No,
11: no, no. I ain't never going there no more. No, no, no. Oh, yes, you will. Oh, no, I don't think I will. Wild, wild horseradishes couldn't drag me. Exactly. What's wrong with the museum? Oh, it's too dangerous. Last time I was there, I seen a fellow that was hurt so bad that they had him bandaged from his head clear down to...
7: <laughs>
11: from his head down to... Uh, oh, you know, down to those... Oh... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> From his head down to well, what is the name of those things that live in shoes? Oh, feet. Yeah, yeah, that's close enough. Well, what about it? Well, this poor fellow looked like he was blindfolded all over. Is yes, that? Yeah.
9: Now wait a minute, Mortimer. Just where did you see this bandaged-up man?
11: Well, he was leaning against the wall in the in the gypsy section. You that's mean? In the Egyptian section? Well, that's what I said, wasn't it? All right. I talked to him, but uh, his mind, you know, was a little wandering, I (laughs) see. I tried to get his mind off his injuries, but he was kind of closed mouth. He He didn't say much? No, he didn't say much. No, didn't say much to him. Conversation sort of drug, a drug. uh, (laughs) Yeah.
7: Well, Mortimer,
11: you were talking to a mummy. I was? Yes, yes. Well, I just wanted to help him. Yeah, I know, I know. But I'm afraid you were too late to help him. About 4,000 years too late. Well, I got there as soon as I could.
7: <laughs>
9: <laughs> Mortimer, I'm trying to tell you that that bandaged man, that bandaged man is
11: completely ossified. Well, can you blame him for taking a nip of I hand? <laughs>
7: taking a nip?
11: Yeah. sort of
9: blunt the pain? Blunt the pain, (laughs) Well, he was in no pain because he was dead. Now, let me explain about mummies. After they were prepared and wrapped, they were put in a tomb, and
11: lots of food was buried with them. Yeah? Yes. Well, now you know, I I reckon it ain't so bad being dead if you still got your appetite. (laughs)
7: Well,
9: it
11: was merely a custom.
9: Now do you feel that that you know a little
11: more about that bandage man? Oh, sure, I know him real well now. We'll have lots to talk about as soon as he can have visitors. Oh yeah.
7: How can you be so
11: stupid? Well who cares as long as it gets results, I don't care. <laughs>
9: Now, there's June waiting on the steps of the museum, but no sign of Charlie. Well, I might have known he'd be late. Uh, here I am, June. Have you, have you been here long?
10: No, I just got here, Edgar.
9: Oh, did you have any trouble finding the museum?
7: Da-da-da-da-da. Oh, day, <laughs> day, Just got through with him, June. I think Charlie went in ahead
10: of us.
9: Well, why did he go in ahead?
10: Well, the doorman said a little boy asked him where he could find the statue of Lady Godiva.
9: That's... That's Charlie. That's my boy. <laughs> well, let's go in and find him. No, I wonder, wonder which way it is to the armor room. Hello, Fran!
6: <laughs> oh. Hello! <laughs> Francis! Uh, hello, uh... I'm Ursula Fran Uh... Your, simmer, simmer, down. I'm uh, your, your friendly uh, museum guy. Uh, how do you do? How do you do, thank you. How do you do? How do you do? <laughs> do, you do? Um, my motto, <laughs> please, my motto is, I'll tour it with a smile if the tip is worthwhile.
10: Yeah. <laughs> We're interested in the armor the knights used to wear.
6: Could you show us through that room? Well, I could, but heaven's to Elizabeth, it's way over on the other side. So? So, uh, would you rather stay here and kind of look at our exhibit of old bones? No, well, they're just chock full of interest and calcium. Why don't you take us to the armor room? Well, mainly because my feet hurt. No they're bad just... feet, What? Bad feet? No, not. I've got good feet. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I forgot to bring my corn plasters today, though I don't know why. I usually keep some on hand. Oh, on hand. On hand, I... Well, not exactly on hand either, but I usually keep them on my feet.
7: Yeah. <laughs> We're
6: only interested in the armor. Well, please, won't you please look at my bones instead, Fran? Uh, see those, uh, the huge, uh, prehistoric ones over there? Yeah. Looky, looky. Uh, one bone is over 15 feet long. An explorer dug it up. My
10: goodness. Think of the size of the prehistoric dog that buried it.
6: <laughs> very cute. You're awful cute. I just knew that you folks would enjoy my lecture on bones once I got my teeth into it. Are you an authority on such things? Authority? Am I an authority? For heaven's sake. I'll have you know that I've got brains. I'm not just a pretty face. That's... <laughs>
7: Is very true, uh,
6: very true. What you said about prehistoric times was very interesting. Do you know much about the lost races? Do I know, oh, my, last season I didn't win a single race at Santa Anita.
7: <laughs> is there
6: any chance that you might condescend to show us the armor room? No, 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 don't be in such a hurly-burly curly. <laughs>
9: yes.
6: I'll be, I'll be just, just happy, very happy to take you there if you'll carry me piggyback.
9: Fine guys. you are too weak to walk. But no. if you think
6: I'm a weakling just because my feet hurt, you're sadly mistaken. All right, so I made a mistake. Yes, you made a mistake, and not only that, but you pulled a terrible, if you'll pardon the expression, bloomer. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, I'm sure you're very strong, but we did come here to see the honor. Well, why must you always rush and hurry around and make everybody nervous? You can go right across the hall to the American Indian Room and and see Standing Bull. Isn't that sitting bull? No, the floors over there are so cold. (laughs) Come on, June. We'll find the armor room ourselves. All right, go on. I didn't like your attitude in the first place. You just got me in such a snit anyway that if I was not 100% American, I'd be seeing red. Go on, go on. Goodbye, aye, aye.
7: (laughs)
9: Uh, let's see now. Oh, there, there's the armor room right across the corridor, June. Oh, yes. And Charlie's waiting for us. <laughs> Hello, June. Oh, I always knew you were beautiful. But standing next to Bergen,
10: you're, you're positively gorgeous. <laughs> well, thank you, Charlie. And you too, Edgar. Yeah.
7: <laughs>
10: Just look at this medieval display. Yes, isn't that
9: an impressive armor, that suit there?
10: Oh, it's wonderful material. Sort of a galvanized gabardine. <laughs> yes. I wonder how they had their suits pressed in those days.
9: Yeah, I bet the laundries tore their bolts off the shirts.
7: <laughs> well,
9: according to the legend of King Arthur, the noble knights performed many feats of daring do for their ladies' fair. And from all over Britain, they came to Camelot to earn their seats at the round
8: table. His <laughs> yes, Majesty. King Arthur. Greetings, brave knights. Take thy seats at the round table. (laughs) Sir Lancelot, methinks thou dost look handsome in thy new suit of armor. Thanks, Your Majesty. I have with a new tailor, Sir Henry of Ford.
7: (laughs) Oh, yes, yes.
8: I've heard his slogan, watch the pants go by. (laughs) Uh, Thy suit looketh a bit rusty, methinks it needs a lube jot. Yes.
9: Tonight I shall go
8: out and get oiled. <laughs> ah, really, thou must mend thy ways. He'd look it looketh bad for a knight at the round table to spend all his nights at the fool table. No. Oh, oh. <laughs> I said it was a jest, methinks. I'll certainly do it. Yeah, what is this? Oh, not here. Hux, hux. Yeah. what cometh near, my good Merlin?
11: Shire. A group of strolling players have you. Oh,
7: uh, that is
8: to say, oh, it. Now, now, good players, what cook it?
10: Hello, gentlemen. I hope you blacks are in the mood for some rhymes and music. Blimey, I really hope so.
8: Sounds, thou art a comely tomato. <laughs>
7: what
8: has <laughs> thou in yon basket?
10: Coconuts, your highness. They're part of the game. Special they are, and only a penny a pitch. Would you like to hear more about it, gentlemen?
11: I tell us more, Milan. <laughs>
10: I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts coconut. There they are standing in, the in the row Big one, small one, some as big as your red Give them a twist, to flick of the wrist That's what a showman said I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts coconut. Everyone you throw will make you rich Mike, it. There stands me wife, the idol of me life A-sing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch singin', roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch
7: roll a See, roll up on the ball, penny a bit. Roll up the ball, penny a Why don't you roll up, roll up, roll up on ball. Roll up, roll ball. A penny
10: a pitch, a penny of roller roll ball. Roller ball, ball, a penny a pitch to roll a ball. i oh, got a lovely
7: bunch of coconuts. Nuts, nuts, nuts. Nut. There
10: they are, standing in the round. Roll, 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 roll. One small one, some as big as your head. Wow. Give them a twist to flicker the rest. That's what a showman said. "No, oh, got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Here you are,
8: here you are, my lucky lad. Penny a shy, penny a shy. Now then, lady, you
10: try your luck. My good man, how much do you require for one
8: coconut? One copper, lady. One sixth of a tenner.
10: Oh, how terribly, terribly valuable.
8: Penny a shy, penny a shy. What about you, dearie?
10: Well, give me little boy. You have a free fro?
8: Free fro? Knock it, knock it. No free fro's around here. Here, young'un, where's your penny? I swallowed it. Well, you all be more careful, ain't you? Never heard of lease. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts There they are standing in the road
10: as big as your reds. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist. That's what the showman said. Oh, I've got a lovely bunch
7: of boats in there. Every you will make
10: me <laughs> me. Me mean. husband's over there. They are to love the fair. Sing and roll about a ball of penny A bit a bit. Sing and roll about a ball of any of A
7: pitch, a bit. Sing and roll about ball of any bit. it. A pitch, a Roll about ball. Roll ball. Sing and roll ball. A pitch, a a penny a pinch. Blow
10: the bowl, the bowl, a penny. A, a lovely bunch of coconuts.
7: Blow the bowl, the bowl, a penny. A, a, a lovely bunch of coconuts. Blow the bowl, the bowl, a penny
8: a. Splendid, splendid. Uh, here, I mean here, my lass. Here is a gold coin for thee.
10: Nay, nay, your majesty. she's not gold I seek, but aid from your noble knights.
9: Will buckle my doublet and rivet me breeches.
10: <laughs> yon ragged
9: wench talks like a lady.
10: I am Princess June. My sister May has been held prisoner since last February by the Black Knight, Sir August. <gasps>
9: Looks like Sir August stole a march on us. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks I sound like Sir Milton of Beryl.
10: <laughs> it was to escape it from the clutches of the Black Knight that I disguised myself in this cheap $500 copy of an Adrian dress. <laughs> <laughs> well,
9: Cerely, thou art a lovely vision withal. I, Sir Lancelot, bow low before thee. <laughs> Oh, methinks I bowed a little too low.
10: <laughs> you should be careful, Lancelot. You've dented your pencil. Ye- <laughs> <laughs>
7: uh, fear not, my princess.
9: I shall go forth and rescue thy sister from the cowardly Black Knight.
8: Wait. Before thou takest thy leave, thou must consult the royal wizard. Merlin. Merlin! He- <laughs> what sayest thou? Perform thy magic. Oh, yes, your majesty. <clears throat> Uh, take us now card from this deck. Any card. Tell us we not what it oh, is. No, Merlin, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Look it now into the future, that we may know the perils that await Sir Lancelot. Oh. Abba, cadabba. Hocus,
11: hocus. Presto, change your metro. Oh, get,
7: to the, get to the trick. Mm. <laughs> Sir Lancelot,
11: I see you and the princess come into a wide river. Hocus, focus. I see a river too deep to ford, too perilous to swim, and you have no boat. Then how do we get across? You use
9: the bridge. (laughs)
7: This guy
9: doesn't know his hocus from his focus.
11: Now you meet a giant and tilt with him in the darkness.
9: That's impossible. When I tilt, I always light up. (laughs) Come, my princess. We will saddle my noble steed and hire us hence.
10: Good. We will need it an early start because hence is 20 miles away. Mm. Sir Lancelot, this rod geteth uncomfortable. Methinks our steeds grow weary.
9: Thou art so right, princess. I will trade them in for fresh ones. Where is? Oh, there is uh, Madman Merlin's used horse lot.
7: <laughs> Merlin?
9: I thought as he was a magician. Ah, he was, but things have been rougher on magicians since Vaudeville died.
11: <laughs> Welcome, Sir Lancelot and Damsel Fair. May I help with thee? Forsooth, we wanted a horse. For eating or for riding?
7: sooth.
11: <laughs> <Pursuit. laughs> I have just the thing for thee. This horse over here is practically brand new. He has very low mileage.
10: Oh, he's not bad, Sir Lancelot. Look at those white sidewall feet.
11: He was owned by an old lady in Pasadena. She just used him to go shopping. He was up with on blocks for six months. Is
7: he...
11: is he four-gated? No, four-legged, one in each corner.
7: <laughs> Verily, he
11: is a bargain and can be financed through the bank of Camelot. And
9: pay a five percent interest. Nay, Violet, I will give it the cash.
11: What about accessories? Teeth are extra, you know. He <laughs>
10: needeth not teeth. All he eats is hay and he can gum that.
9: Here is the money, madman. Come, Princess, we must get to the black knight and
7: headeth for the blackout.
10: (laughs) We are nearing the castle where my sister is imprisoned. Look, here cometh the black knight. Loose thy lance and lance lunge.
9: Fear not, my beloved. I shall cut through his armor with ease, for on the end of my lance I have a th- can opener.
7: <laughs>
9: on dark varlet, cometh to joust with thee, I do. Oh,
10: splendid Sir Lancelot. You have unseated the black knight.
9: <laughs> and now pull back his visor and look upon his evil face. <laughs> Who is
7: it? fair. Oh, but uh,
6: In the future, friends, uh, will you please knock before you come in?
7: How, <laughs> villain,
9: what hast thou to say before I cut it off thy head?
6: Goodbye, Aye
10: Aye. Renfalade, <laughs> my darling. Now that thou hast counted the black night, I will love thee forevermore. Put thy armor around me.
9: Oh, my fair one, nothing but nothing can cometh between us.
6: Don't be too sure of about that. Huh? I'll a messenger
10: from Camelot.
6: No, Miss Allison, I'm a messenger from your movie lot. You got a six o'clock call in the morning.
10: Oh, no. Good night, princess. Good Night. Night. <laughs>
9: Uh, Just a word of thanks to June Allison for appearing with us tonight. I guess next week will be the cowboy king of radio and television, Hopalong Cassidy. Good night, everybody.
8: Appeared by arrangement with Hector Bolden Mayer, producers of Adam's Rib, starring Spencer Quincy, Catherine Hepburn, and June Holiday. With Bill
6: Baldwin speaking from the famous Pasadena Playhouse.
8: This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Mr. District Attorney, followed by Duffy's Tavern. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.